0: Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Simon Dudley, Chief Contrarian for Accession Events. To learn more and for information about the book and other resources, please go to accessionevents.com. Here's the second half of the presentation I gave at the Exchange event in LA in March 2016. I do hope you find the topic of moving sales from a boxes to a cloud-based environment interesting. And if you'd like me to come along and talk to your organization or to your clients about this, I'd be delighted to discuss it with you. So sit back and enjoy the show. Think about how this could change your business and I would love some feedback. Thank you. So let's look at our client types. Old clients would be IT managers. You'd have a type of conversation, typically about a budget that had already been decided by somebody else. It would be a technical conversation, often around implementation issues. New clients, 40% of whom already exist by the way, and they do claim Gartner among others are saying that within a few years your average CMO will have a bigger IT budget than the IT department. They make budget, they don't spend somebody else's. As I once said at a conference, uh, and it didn't go down very well with the audience because they were all IT managers, I said IT managers go to work to not get fired. And they kind of laughed and said, oh, yeah, that's not really very funny, but it's true because no one rings the IT department at 5 o'clock in the evening and says, thanks, everything worked great today. Business managers think differently. They'll create budget. The other thing that they're interested in is solving business problems. And if you're good at your job, you can go and solve their business problem. So the question you need to ask yourself is, if I'm going to now look for a certain type of customer, who should I look for? Well, my recommendation would be find a type of customer that you appeal to and go and talk to them. And to do that, you need to speak their language. You need to be able to speak marketing or engineering or finance or something else because the people you'll talk to will be business people and the IT behind it will become simply an implementation issue. ROI is far more important than a cost-based model. And in fact, from your point of view, it should be a lot more profitable. So sticky, additive relationships matter. Right? One of the things I would strongly recommend is you find things to sell clients that you already have. So you have a client who bought Rutgers wireless from you, and you go and sell him something else that adds to the network that he already has. So many people don't do that. They go and sell one thing to one client, and then, go through all the hassle of finding another client, to sell another one thing to. As you move out of the IT department, you should become much more of a business partner for your customers, and much less of a simple supplier of technology. I should point out, and I've done this because I work quite closely with a number of distribution companies, that I've said to them, to distribution people, you're excited about the cloud, aren't you? And many of them have said, well, well, actually we think it's the existential threat that will destroy our business. Privately, they don't say that in public forums. But it's interesting to me that they're wrong. Distribution actually should be able to hold the keys to the kingdom. And the reason I say that is because manufacturers know their thing, resellers can't know everything, but distribution should be able to pat numerous different solutions together into a cohesive whole that a reseller can supply and a customer will be happy with. And customers who have relationships like that with their suppliers are going to be a lot harder to dislodge than ones who supplied a whole bunch of boxes that they've now already installed. We all know who this lady is. Nobody? Susan Boyle. Susan Boyle. Was she the world's greatest singer? No. Was she the world's... We'll leave it as singer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she's a fine lady. She was a genius in packaging. There are 10,000 pretty blonde girls who all look the same, who could sing as well as her. And you don't remember any of their names, with the possible exception of Christine Aguilera. That's about it, I would guess. A Few others. This lady, because she was unique, was remembered. Now, I'm not suggesting you all go and have radical surgery and end up looking like Susan Boyle, because I'm not coming back next year if you do. That's just too frightening, a room full of Susan Boyles. But, and horror, but her uniqueness was important. And if you can't explain to your customers why you're unique then you're in trouble so make certain you have a unique proposition for your clients because otherwise they can shop you and in a cloud world that becomes incredibly important so here's a suggestion one of the things that I'm always shocked that people don't do resellers, manufacturers, distribution, everybody doesn't do is they don't solve a problem of concern to multiple organizations. Now what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Back in 1986, I was a fax machine salesman because I was young and strong and could lift a fax machine. They weighed 100 pounds each and cost $10,000. They were big things in, 10, in uh, 1986. And I could lift one into a client's site and I could put it down and. The old wizened 26 year old sales guy could go and do the actual demo and what was interesting about that was that we would go and ask those clients after they'd done the demo and they'd normally buy two, one for each of their offices and it would transform the way they did business and then we would say to them, who else would benefit you if they had one of these? So of course they would then give you the names of their top three clients and maybe their top two suppliers. And you could go away and say, hey, if you want a better relationship with Bob down the road, you should buy a fax machine. You know what, it worked incredibly well. That market went from 60,000 units a year to 2 million units a year in two years. The network effect of fax was incredible. Now, I'm not suggesting you guys go and sell fax machines. I I think the market is, is full. I hope it is. I don't ever want to do a fax again. And I'm sure many of us don't. But the point is, if you get involved with clients at a business level and you help one of your clients have a closer relationship with their customers and their suppliers, then you become a cohesive part of their overall business strategy. That doesn't sound like an IT supplier anymore. That sounds like a very different job. And when your competitor comes along and knocks on the client's door and says, oh, we got the same thing that your friend got, but it's 15% cheaper. They'll look at them and go, well, so what? That's irrelevant. They're part of our supply chain. We have a business partner, not a bloke who supplies the boxes. That needs to be thought about. Now, cultures of businesses are changing, right? The culture, and of course, that would none of this would apply to anyone in this room, I'm certain, But in the greater scheme of IT resellers globally, many of these things are true. They're about making money now. They're about selling what you have in an imperfect market. An imperfect market is one in which the clients and the suppliers aren't necessarily aware of each other's positions or the price of the products. That's what economists call an imperfect market. Certainly the old way of doing things Certainly in UC and in AV, keeping the magic in the box was an incredibly important part of the story. Make it as complicated as possible so the client has no idea where all the profit is. Well, that's going away. The sales cycle was all about boom and bust. You do a great big deal and then you couldn't afford to do any more business until the client paid you. Well, cloud makes all that go away. And lastly, and perhaps from a cultural point of view, the single most important aspect was that sales, marketing, pre- and post-sales support were all siloed, different, culturally different, and seen to the client as a different thing. Salespeople would hold on to the relationship with the client, even though post-sales support probably did ten times more contact with the client over a five-year period. In cloud world, the new model, very different. Make money slowly. You are not going to do the one deal, 80 points margin and retire. I know every reseller I've ever met, including me, hoped that would happen. It didn't to me. I haven't met. Maybe to the people it did happen to, I never met them because they did all retire. The new model is also to collaborate with clients. Remember, far more now you're dealing with business people, not IT people strongly recommend you overshare, overshare all your information. The idea of keeping the knowledge in the little box is going away. If you don't tell the client about it, somebody else will and that will build them a more trusted relationship. The new culture is you've got to retain your sales talent. This idea of cycling them through on a regular basis doesn't make any sense when you're selling on a monthly or quarterly or yearly basis. And remember, increasingly, now that you're selling services to business people and most of it's cloud, that's exactly what you're doing. The business, and I hope this is a positive thing, becomes more boring. The idea that the the customer can game you at the end of the month or the end of the quarter or when they see the bead of sweat on your brow when they're when they're negotiating the price with you, changes when the linearity of the business is at such a point where you're not sweating that you can't make payroll at the end of the quarter. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly from a cultural point of view, sales, marketing, pre and post sales Mm -hmm. support kind of merge. We've got some sort of hybrid thing going on here. The idea of sales used to be the wombat we all heard the phrase about wombat, eats roots and leaves. That's exactly what salespeople were. They'd come in, they'd do the deal, they'd tell the customer they loved them, they'd give them a peck on the cheek, they'd close it, they'd leave. And then five years later, if they still were the company, which almost certainly they weren't, they'd go and do the same thing again. Now, the client can turn it off anytime he likes. So sales better stay engaged. And lastly... The relationships between manufacturers and distribution and sales has got to stop being so adversarial I've worked for manufacturers for nearly 20 years and for resellers and as a reseller before and after that and in the middle somewhere and the the sense of everyone holds their cards to their chest and no one wants to give anything away is something that is definitely needs to be left behind in the old model After all, however much account control you think you've got as a reseller, the person supplying the services as the back end probably has more. You have to be partners. Now one thing that my last employer did was say, we have a hundred million dollar hardware business and we're going to start doing a cloud business. And then they burnt the hardware business to the ground And then said, right, let's start the cloud business. Don't do that. That's a terrible idea. It's going to take you a long time to get your cloud business off the ground. So I know this was a Christopher Columbus, and wasn't he a lovely guy? Phrase. I mean, important, but not a very nice chap. He burnt the boats. Don't burn the boats you can transition it's gonna be tough it isn't the easiest transition in the world but you can't not do it this idea of we'll be the last hardware guy in town is irrelevant because remember there's no geography anymore so there only has to be one other person in some other town anywhere in the world and then you're probably competing against them and I already know their name they're called Amazon and that's scary for any of us So let's talk about what your sales team now actually become. In simple terms, I would recommend that you turn your sales organisation into Susan Boyle. Perhaps not medically, but certainly culturally. They need to become the micro-celebrities. I would use, in Austin, Texas, we have a guy who sells cars with the craziest adverts, called Scott Elder. He is one of my sons calls him his spirit animal. Every town has a bloke who sells, um, he sells mattresses, cars or couches in some crazy way by doing mad adverts. I think every town in the country has one of those. I'm not suggesting you have to go that far, but everyone knows who that person is and doesn't know who anyone else is. Because in a world in which 60% of the sales cycle happens before you know the client exists, you need to be in a position that when they do start looking for this stuff, there you are. You are on the internet. You have a presence. There is stuff they can get hold of. Oh, and a quick tip. If your marketing department says, we've got all this interesting information, and we're going to put it behind a firewall, And any client who wants it has to tell us everything about themselves, yeah? Give them a bit of a slap, because it doesn't work. The client will simply, or the potential client will simply go to Google and find the same information somewhere else. So this idea that culturally you can turn around and say, but we've got all this great information and we must keep it secret because that's what makes us money, has become false. You need to give it all away to the extent that when the client then finds it, they go, well, he's a good chap, or chap s," such a word exists, and they'll be the one I go to. So be the thought leader. One thing that companies do, again, I'm sure no one here, but other companies do, is they go, right, well, we put up a website, and then we'll expect people to go to it. People don't go to your website. When I, was my last manufacturing company I worked for, about 30% of the opportunities came through the website. Almost all of the rest of it came through social media. Because people don't go, oh, I know, I don't know anything about routers or video conferencing. I'll go to that particular manufacturer's website. They don't know to go there. So you need to be where they will be. I heard someone say recently, well, you should only use social media if your clients use social media. Well, isn't that a bit like saying, well, we don't only open the shop on a Sunday if people came to the shop on a Sunday? Well, hang on. The shop's closed on Sunday, so no one comes. That's crazy. This stuff matters, right? By 2020, all those millennials, you know the ones who sit in the office who don't do anything? Yeah? Like those people, they're half your clients in four years. They're a third of them now. A third. They're not coming to. They're not going to come to a trade show. They don't do trade shows. They don't know how to drive. <laughs> they're on the internet. If you're not there, they don't come and see you. Now, do you need to become an internet guru or a or a social media guru? Uh, yes. In a word, I mean, really, there's no other way. Work, but do you have to be everywhere all the time, tweeting about everything? No. And he ought takes take a slap on the wrist. How many people are doing any kind of social media while at this event? Well, I know, because I've been looking. And I can't see well enough with the lights on me, so let's pretend that not many of you put your hands up. One of the other things companies do is tell everyone how good they are. Do you know how much notice anyone takes of that? I should tell you, I'm the world's greatest lover. It isn't true. Well, I don't know if it is or not. It's irrelevant, perhaps. Let's move on. But if I could have, I don't know, a hundred people stand on this stage and say he is, it might mean something. So let's ask this. When you go to Amazon, what do you look for? Do you look for what the manufacturer says about their product? Or do you simply go, well, I don't buy anything that's less than four stars? And if you say, well, I don't buy anything that's less than four stars, which is what most people do, by the way. Then you have to ask, but why? All those reviews could have been bought. None of those people know anything about the products. They're members of the public, and we all know that most members of the public, other than ourselves, of course, are idiots. They're idiots. Most people are idiots, right? I think we could safely agree on that, but we all take notice of what other people have to say about a product. So, if you're not out there getting reviews, then bad things happen. I'll give you a perfect example. The last few days I've been traveling around the country. I was in Enterprise Connect in Orlando Monday, Tuesday this week, and I flew here last night, or yesterday. And uh, on the way out of Orlando, I used Uber. Perfect, lovely car, nice driver, chatted when I wanted to, didn't chat when I didn't want to. It smelled nice that didn't look like someone had given birth on the back seat of the, of the cab, you know, that sort of thing. It was lovely, nice experience. I get here, I get, in an, I get in a car at the airport, a taxi at the airport, with a man who hasn't slept since about 1984. Uh, but he's on a lot of anger management pills, who just simply put his foot to the floor on the accelerator and just turned the wheel until we arrived here. <laughs> 23 miles and 150 miles an hour in a Prius later. And why was he allowed to do that? Because I couldn't give him, and he knew it, one star. The Uber guy, he's gonna be a nice guy because he knows I can affect his business. The cab driver would have stabbed me to death if it had made him another five cents on the (laughs) trip. And I know that because he told me. (laughs) So from your business's point of view, be very aware, and by the way, quick tip, allow people to actually have a forum in which they can give you a good rating. I read somewhere the other day, someone said, well, you should get customers to give you testimonials. Well, look, as a manufacturer's evangelist for many years, can I tell you now, quick tip, how many people ever read the testimonials? Yeah? It's an integer of less than one. No one reads those things. Oh, I guess you've got your brother-in-law saying nice things about you. Oh, well, I'm very interested. It doesn't matter, right? The wisdom of groups matters. If you can get yourself a 4.9 star, actually 4.9 is not very good, that's bad because people think you've gained it. About a 4.5 is the right answer, 4.2. That means lots of people think you're impressive. So if you haven't got a, a, a system that allows people to do that, then you're in trouble. Now, make certain you're in a position that you don't get a 2.3 when they do actually give you a star rating. But I'm sure none of the organisations in here would ever do that anyway. So allow people to judge you publicly. Another idea, another thing, right? Your sales organisation should be that funny, they should be the charismatic, they should be the people able to interact with a group of people in a congenial way I mean if they can't do that why are they in your sales department so here's a thought and it's always amazed me something I've done very actually highly successfully because I'm basically lazy and I do not want to drive around the five client sites every day and try and do a demo it doesn't scale anyway it never did but now it really doesn't scale so you know who the best salespeople in the world are? Your existing clients, and how many people use them? Well, it's an integer of less than one, as a general rule. Hardly anyone uses their clients effectively. User groups. I started a little user group about ten years ago. It's actually taken a, a life of its own now, and about 150 of the global 500 companies are members of it, and it's. It's kind of got beyond me. I feel like Mickey Mouse in the, in the Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's just off doing its own thing now, and that's great. Do it yourselves. <laughs> a couple of other things to consider. Let's talk about evangelists, right? Now, what's an evangelist? An evangelist isn't a man who stands on a stage and tells you he's an evangelist. Because I was one of those, yeah. And you sit there and go, yeah, but he's, that company pays him to say that. Most, most people who are evangelists even admit that that's the case. A real evangelist is that bloke at the airport who sees that your Windows computer has gone blue screen of death again and then warbles in your ear for 15 minutes how you're an idiot for buying the PC and you should have bought a Mac. That's an evangelist. An evangelist is the man who sits outside Franklin's restaurant, a barbecue restaurant in Austin, Texas, for seven hours, seven hours to get some barbecue. Quick tip, there's a lot of places in Austin, Texas, you can get great barbecue. But there are people who have got no vested interest, no financial stake in making you buy a Mac or getting you to buy a Tesla. I know plenty of people who are Tesla evangelists who've never even driven a Tesla. in and out Burger. I I live in Texas, I used to live in San Diego. In-N-Out Burger, everyone in San Diego thought In-N-Out Burger was great. In Austin, people who've never been to In-N-Out Burger will tell you it's the best burger restaurant in the world. It's all right. Other manufacturers do this, and you sit there and go, well, I can't do that, I'm not very big. But actually, you don't need an army of evangelists. You just need what they call the thousand followers. Now every band, every band that's going to be successful knows about this, every author knows about this, those organisations typically, the Rolling Stones may be bigger than you, but the far, far vast majority of organisations that do understand the thousand fanatical fans are probably in the same economic scale as your own organisations, build those. Have people who, unprompted, will go and tell other people how great you are. It's not very hard, and it's incredibly powerful. Are you going to be the next Apple as a result? Perhaps not. And Apple have probably changed it a bit. Like The iPhone is not an evangelical product for Apple. But anyone running an Apple laptop, you just know they're going to berate you as to why you're still using Windows. And you want people to say that about your organisation. So here's my call to arms. There is two types of salespeople in the world. There is the old type of salespeople, the gunslingers, the Butch Cassidy's, the guy, the guy who will tell you that he he doesn't need sales force. He's not interested in CRM. He's got his little black book. He goes and sees the customer and he closes the deal. We ever met any of those? So let's look at what a a gunslinger is. He's effective, but only against single targets. He's completely independent, he never even wants to show you what he's written in Salesforce, not that typically gunslingers write anything in Salesforce. They're not team players, they make horrible managers, because by their nature they're selfish. They're often people with a special talent. Have you ever noticed how the best coaches in football are not ex-players? Because the best players don't make good coaches, partly due to head trauma, one could argue, but also because they were naturally good at it and can't understand how to coach someone else to get there. The other problem with gunslingers is they do have nasty habits, right? They've got one gun, Colt 45, bang, shoot the deal. They're pretty untrainable. They'll tell you they want training, but they won't actually listen to any of it. They're very loyal to themselves. How many salespeople move company... You can see it in the LinkedIn profile. The, the sales guy has moved to six companies in ten years. Yep, I recognise that guy. There's no plan. And they can be rather gun Which means that the gun goes off in the car. <laughs> Potentially when their mum's driving. Oh, there were words on that one. Let's talk about the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs is what your sales organisation needs to become. The Navy SEALs are interdependent. They'll take whatever weapon is required for the job, whether that's a knife or an aircraft carrier. They bring friends to every fight they go to. They're organised, their tactics change. They're very loyal. And they're normal people. I, I don't mean to, certainly I'm not belittling Navy SEALs, they're extraordinary human beings, but they started as average guys. They started as a farm boy from Iowa who went off, became a Marine, learned to become a Navy SEAL. And they scale. The problem with Navy SEALs is they're expensive and it takes a long time to train them. But for those of us who know Butch Cassidy the Sundance Kid, they'll know that the Bolivian Army shot Robert Redford and Paul Newman and those guys were not very well trained. I think it's funny, in the picture, I don't know if you can see it very well, there's a guy at the back with a rifle, I suspect that's the manager, making certain everyone else points the guns in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need a world-class sales organisation, you just need a disciplined one that works as a team, who works with the rest of the organisation. It's the bond queue dynamic. So the conclusions. Marketing has been reformed. I do think it's sales's turn. Doing what you've always done will be a failing strategy. You need to have deep relationships with clients because it's a much easier job to sell to them and their customers than it is to find a new client. Because you're going to sell to business people, you need to sell business problems, not supply technology to IT departments. You need to be present in the world so when the client decides he wants to find you, you're there, don't try and work harder at the problem, you can't do it, scale it, train an army, don't rely on the, the, the wildly talented individual contributor, their days are numbered, I would say are over really, it, it doesn't work anymore, you need to have a trained army, and, and by the way, training doesn't mean whipping them harder at the end of the quarter. And as the facts change, so much, your opinion. So your call to action, find a set of unique competencies that are yours alone. Be Susan Boyle or Christine Aguilera or someone in between, but be unique. Bring your sales team into the loop and train the trainable. And if they don't want to be trained and they can't get it, then I would argue their time is up build a presence so clients can find you and build a compelling solution for a group of customers it's so much harder to be dislodged from five customers all of whom use the same solution than it is to be picked off individually and then lastly build a scaling business and on that note I'm going to say remember many a false step is made by standing still it's an old Chinese proverb it continues to be true and I think it truly is time for the bar so thank you very much I hope you found it useful and I will be there thank you Simon how about one nice round of more a nice round of applause for Simon great job more fun than driving 200 miles an hour on a motorcycle or being in a plane crash I would imagine Simon